Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Telling somebody before we started that I had prepared today a good Anglican meditation, and they asked me if that meant it was going to be heretical. No, that's not what I meant. It just meant short and sweet, right? This is the day, the, the Sunday before Christmas. We got the kids here today, but I know their attention's probably better than yours, but Catherine already stole the show with word as usual. So, again, just a good Anglican meditation as we close out this series on the early chapters of the the gospel according to Matthew. Early chapters in which a king is born. But a king, Matthew makes the point, unlike any king that had been born before. And unlike any king that has been born since. Because this king, King Jesus, was born to be something more. Which is what these early chapters are all about. The kind of king that Jesus came to be. And, and how, according to Matthew, King Jesus came as a, a rest for the weary. And how he, he came as a savior for sinners. And how he came as a shepherd for Israel and for those outside Israel. And, and as we're going to see today, how he came as a hope for the hurting. Which is really good news, right? Because it's sometimes holidays like this that really remind us how hurting we really are, how much hurt we really have. And this is precisely what Jesus came to answer, to be a hope for the hurting. And we're going to see it as we turn our attention to the dark side of that first Christmas. And you can turn with me, if you have a Bible, to Matthew chapter 2, where we're going to be and follow along with me as I read from verse 13 to verse 23. Again, Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. This is God's Word. It says this, Now when the, they, the, the magi, the wise men, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. And Herod, when he saw that, that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the, that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. This was fulfilled. This then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. 
And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask today that you would shine light on this dark corner of history, that you would shine light on the the slaying of the innocent in this passage and your sparing of just one. We ask for for wisdom and understanding to, to, to recognize your work here to in preserving the work of King Jesus, ultimately undo the works of pretender kings like Herod and the great pretender king that he served. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things and even dare to place our hope in them. Amen. I was reminded this week of the story of a a couple parents, a mom and a dad, who for Christmas had decided to go big and to build their kids a treehouse. Do you know the story? wasn't us. We're kind of done with projects for the moment. But this, this one, they, they, they ordered a plan. They, they had the, 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 the kit shipped to them. But when they went to put it together, they quickly realized that there had been some sort of mix-up. Because rather than a treehouse, the parts that had been delivered were for a sailboat. That's right, a sailboat. And you can, you can picture it, can't you? The how the whole debacle discovered far too late in the game with, with any time, without any time to, to, to figure out a, a plan B, how, how the whole debacle ruined Christmas. Because after all of that, the only thing they had to show for it on the morning of was a, was a half-built sailboat in the tree out back. And the only comfort they received was in a, a reply to the complaint they filed with the company that they had ordered it through. And dear Mr. and Mrs. such and such, we apologize for the inconvenience this has caused. And we simply ask at this time that you recognize that your plight is not nearly as bad as the fellow who is now attempting to sail around a lake in your treehouse. <laughs> bad news, right? This is a, bad, a Christmas gone wrong. As bad as either of those must be, to either be caught Christmas morning with a sailboat instead of a treehouse, or a a treehouse instead of a sailboat, I bet many of us here today can think of far worse things that ruin Christmas, can't we? Things like the loss of life or loved ones, things like loneliness or being left alone of the fear of the future or the failures of our past. Things so overwhelmingly devastating that they don't seem like they have a place at Christmas at all. You just have to, to, to put on your happy face and act like they're not a part of life until the holidays are good and gone. 
But isn't it a comfort to know? I hope that it's a comfort to know that the very beginnings of the Christmas story are marked by these very same sorts of things. By loss and loneliness. By fear and failures. And not for nothing, but because in a sense, this too, as we've been seeing so many other things, this too is what Christmas is all about. How Jesus came as a hope for the hurting, which is nowhere made more clear than in our passage today and in what Herod did and in what God was doing. This is what we're going to look at today, these two sides of this passage that, that bring this out. What Herod did the hurt, and what God was doing. If I could get this mic to stay on. It's a hard thing sharing mics. I thought it was going to go better having your wife do it. It just didn't work out the way I planned. This too, right? Okay, these two sides. What Herod did, the hurt, and what God was doing, the hope. First, let's look at what Herod did. Let's look at the, the hurt. And, and you see it there at the heart of this passage, beginning in verse 16, right? Even though we, we've been wondering what was coming as far back as our passage from last week. Because it was then that we were introduced to this Herod the king, just before the wise men showed up looking for a different one. Which maybe suggests that they weren't so wise after all, because who does something like that, right? Unless you're the third party independent looking to benefit from the bipartisan fallout. But that's not really what the wise men are at all. And apparently they expected Herod to be just as excited to meet the newborn king as they were. Which is why they didn't seem to, to think anything of it when he sent them on their merry way to, to find the newborn king, if only they'd to bring back to him word of where he was, that Herod too might go and worship. But even though the wise men didn't think anything of it, anyone looking on him, on this would. If for no other reason than when Herod heard of this rival king, it says that he was, you remember, troubled. And anyone familiar with Herod's, Herod's venom, with his malice and malevolence, would, would have been concerned all the more, which is why it comes as no surprise when the wise men, back in verse 12, are warned in a dream not to return to Herod, and then when Joseph after them is warned in a dream of his own to flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, because what? Herod was about to make a search for the child to destroy him. It's not surprising. What is surprising, startling in fact, is that when Herod finds his original plans have been thwarted to, to, to pinpoint the exact location of the child through the intel of the wise men, not knowing that, that, that he had been thwarted even more by the fleeing of the Holy Family to Egypt. What is surprising is that rather than go about trying to, to find the child himself, look at what plan B is. Plan B is to instead just kill off any infant who might be the newborn king. Why? Because he was furious, verse 16 says, at having been tricked. 
So that as a result, it says he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And in all that region, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Which was not a big enough deal to show up on the radar of much of the histories being written at the time, but a big enough deal for those it affected. Probably some 20 or 40 babies slaughtered. Dark side of Christmas. But why? Furious is one thing. This is all out mad. Well, because this is what the kings of this world do, isn't it? Hard as it is to swallow or, or look in the face, whether the Herods or the Hitlers. When their thrones are threatened and at their worst, they stop at nothing to secure those thrones for themselves. Herod did it with a sword. Hitler eventually with a gas chamber. Not unlike what Pharaoh had done before them in the days of Moses with the casting of the Hebrew children into the Nile. And notice, it's the children. This is hard stuff. But it's real. And it's really what indiscriminate evil taken to its logical conclusion looks like when for the protection of a throne those who sit on it or those who benefit from it deem it necessary or maybe just most effective to wipe out entire portions of the population without even blinking an eye and to do so first and foremost with those who can't fight back before they can put up a fight. Talk about planned parenthood. This is evil. But it's what, a, what the kings of this world have in common. And what if you stand with the king of kings, you will ultimately have to stand against. The securing of thrones by the destroying of the, the quote-unquote threat. This is what Herod did. This is the hurt. But what was God doing? What was the hope? That God was saving his son. He was saving his son by, by dreams and appearing, the appearing of angels, as odd as that might seem to some of us. Just, just like God had, had saved the in, integrity of Mary and Joseph's marriage before by dreams and the appearing of angels. And, and keep in mind, doing so not only because God can do such things however and wherever and whenever he wants, but more to the point, because when it comes to Jesus, God does whatever it takes. So at first, back in verse 13, you could see it there. God tells Joseph in a dream to take his family to Egypt to evade Herod's attempt to destroy Jesus. Then later in verse 19, God tells him to take them back to Israel because Herod himself had died. 
Again, because this was God's son, and when it comes to Jesus, God does whatever it takes to save him. But not notice in order to save Jesus from everything. The story doesn't end here. Not in order to spare Jesus from everything, which is a crucial point. Otherwise, you start asking questions like, why Jesus and not the others? Why did God just stop at sparing Jesus? If there was no suffering down the road, the the, the question would stand. Why not just spare everyone? But this is for a particular purpose. As if this was a question of God sparing his son only to leave the rest of those infants to be speared. Point blank, silent period. Now, Jesus will have his day to suffer too. Even here, over Jesus' cradle, there looms the shadow of the cross. But here's the difference. When Jesus suffers, he'll do so in the end, not as a reluctant victim, but as the willing victor. That was a conversation I had with Emmett when he was five years old reading the Christmas story, and Emmett already had an awareness of where the story was headed, that Jesus was born to die, to take on himself the the sins of the world. And Emmett posed the question, why if Jesus was born to die, why did God even bother keeping him from Herod's heinous plan? This is it. Because when Jesus finally died, Jesus would die not as the unwilling victim, but as the willing victor. Jesus would die for for so much more so that in effect, he's, he's spared as a child that he might suffer as an adult, that he might one day take up the other children's cause. And as God's true son, that it would be said of him like it was said of Israel, God's first son. Out of Egypt, I called my son. That in the end, he, he'd be called a Nazarene. The, the, the promised branch or, or Nazir that Isaiah and others talked of growing out of the, the stump of David. And that right at the, the heart of this passage, the voice heard in Rama of, of weeping and loud lamentation would, would find its answer finally in the cry from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was he thinking? He was thinking of us. It's interesting when you go back and read what's quoted here from the prophet Jeremiah, this this center quote, that that in Herod's slaying of the children, then was fulfilled, it says, what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. See there in verses 17 and 18? It's interesting that when you go back to Jeremiah, these words stick out as the single dark statement in a wonderfully hopeful passage. So why pick up on them? 
Why are these the verses Matthew points us to? Because what Jeremiah saw in his own day, Matthew was seeing in his. That that despite the weeping and loud lamentation of those bereaved parents, in the midst of the hurt, there was yet hope for the future. Better days ahead. A dim though the hour be, the dawn would soon break the darkness. But like Jeremiah said in that very passage, even the children who had met their end by the sword would someday soon be brought back to the land of the living. And yet what Jeremiah sees, even Jeremiah knows to attach, to hinge on the coming of one who would suffer that hurt on our behalf. And this too is what Matthew sees. One who was spared as a child and all the hurt that went with it, to suffer that hurt as an adult and so bring the hope. The the taste now, the taste now of resurrection life and someday the feast. This is the Christmas story, the kind of king that Jesus came to be. And let let me just end, let me just close out our Advent celebration with two thoughts. First, when it comes to the Herods of this world, and second, with regard to the hurting. First, with regard to the Herods, whether we find them out there somewhere or or stumble across them in the mirror, know this, that the Herods of this world never have the last laugh. Did you see that in the text? They never have the last laugh. That that it was only a matter of time before Herod died himself. The man who who had caused the death of so many others. All such men die too. But die without the hope. Because like James Bond says, have you seen the trailer? I love this line. History isn't kind to men who play God. History has not been kind to men who play God. And it's probably worth saying to men who try to play against God. All Herods of this world, all Hitlers after them, will not have the last laugh. And that, I hope, would be a comfort to us in the darkness when facing such men And something that confronts us when the darkness is inside of us. The Herods of this world will not have the last laugh. Second, though, with regard to the hurting, that it doesn't make sense to make like the hurt doesn't exist. It does. But with that, remember that the the help is just as real 
The hope is just as real, secured by the one who suffered on our behalf. King Jesus taking up the cause of those who could not take it up for themselves. He has secured it on our behalf. Like those children in Herod's day are the ones who lost them. One of my favorite Christmas books is one by John Piper. If you know the name, you know he writes thick books. This is a rather thin book. I've gotten in the habit, I can in a matter of 15 minutes or so. I read this every year during this time. It's, I think he's captured something from this story well. It's called The Innkeeper. And it's about a, a visit that, that Jesus pays to this innkeeper 30 years after he was born in Bethlehem. And Piper imagines that this innkeeper bears not only the memory of that awe-filled night, but also bears the memory of the awful events that followed it. And perhaps, and as Piper draws the picture, had children of his own, sons of his own, that were lost in the wake of those awful nights. And he envisions the meeting of Jesus stopping by Bethlehem on his way to Jerusalem. And I just thought I'd close by reading the end of the conversation between them, this old innkeeper and the grown man, Jesus. Jesus has asked the innkeeper if he remembers that night the Roman soldiers came to carry out Herod's orders. And this is what the innkeeper says. Do you know what it cost for me to house the Son of God? That in one year the slaughter squad from Herod came, and where do you suppose they started? Not a clue? We didn't have a thought what they had come to do. No time to pray, no time to run, no time to get our firstborn off the street and let him say goodbye to his mom or me. Only time to look on and see a lifted spear smash through his spine and chest. He stumbled to the sign that welcomed strangers to this place and looked with panic at my face as if to ask what he had done. Young man, have you ever lost a son? Tears streamed down the Savior's cheek. He shook his head but couldn't speak. Before I found the breath to scream, I heard the words, a horrid dream, kill every child who's two or less. Spare not for aught, nor make excess. Let this one be the oldest here, and if you count your own life dear, let none escape. I had no sword, no weapons in my house, but Lord, I had my hands, and I would save my other son, my wife, so brave got there first and clung with hands like a thousand one rod iron bands wrapped round the boy. She wouldn't let him go, and so her own back met with every thrust and blow. I lost my arm, my wife, my sons, the cost for housing the Messiah here. Why should he then just disappear? and never come to help. 
He sat in silence. The innkeep wondered at the stranger's tears until he spoke. And in the words, all hope awoke. And he replied, I am the boy that Herod wanted to destroy. You gave my parents room to give me life, and then God let me live and took your wife. And me, ask me not why, one should live, another die. God's ways are high, and you will know in time. But I have come to show you what the Lord prepared the night. You made a place for heaven's light. In two weeks they will crucify my flesh, but mark this in keep, I will rise in three days from the dead and place my foot upon the head of him who has the power of death, and I will raise with life and breath your wife, your sons, the firstborn too, and give them in keep back to you with everything the world can store, and you will live forevermore. The hurt is real. These things cannot be escaped. They're experienced by all and are no respecters of persons. But the help is more. And I pray this Christmas you know that for yourself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we conclude our Advent celebration, look forward to the celebrating of Christmas, of remembering the day you were born, I pray we would not forget that even there the hurt had a place in the story. That you, Lord, were spared while others were speared. But not spared from everything. I pray we remember this holiday season that born as you were, you were born to die and did so. That we might taste and later feast, I pray we would, the hope despite the hurt. Pray it in Jesus' good name. for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.